It was 1985 in the summer, and I actually moved back to Sarasota from Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was just turning 23, and going back, getting into the church I was involved in at the time, uh, knew a couple of people there, got to know a real good friend of mine who's sitting here today, back at that time, and uh, the church began to talk about licensing me as a pastor. And I was 23, I was single, and I was like, oh wow, you know, this is kind of kind of new to me, and the next spring I got licensed as a pastor, and I began to do some preaching and talking to people there, and, they, and one of the things I heard over and over again was, Rick, we're praying for you to find a wife. And, you know, a pastor needs a wife, and I wasn't sure I was wanting those prayers at the time. Um, I was pretty happy where I was at and everything, but people began to pray for me. And I remember the, the first time I saw Connie, um, I had to take a second look, and then a third look. And I began to think, oh, wow, maybe I do want those prayers to be answered. And I, I met her sister, Nancy, and I told her, I'm, I'm going to ask Connie out. And she said, well, if you want to ask Connie out, um, if you want to impress her, tell her you're going to call our dad first and ask for permission. So I said, that's a good idea. So I called her dad and asked for permission. I didn't let Connie know about that until after we were married, that it wasn't my idea. She thought it was my idea. I thought I need all the help I can get, you know. Um, after we were dating a couple months, she said, I'm going to be going to Oregon next month. And I was like, well, can I come with you? And she said, sure. So we got two tickets. We flew into Oregon. You have to understand, at that time, I, was, I went to bed at, at 10 o'clock every night. I mean, if it, it was a crazy night if I was up till 10.30. I mean, that was late. I got up at 5 o'clock. I was a framer. I mean, I, I worked 50-some hours a week. I was regimented. We flew into Oregon, got into Portland at midnight Oregon time, which is 3 o'clock this time. I mean, I was dead tired. We walked up the jetway, came around the corner. That's when everybody could meet you at the, air, you know, at the airport right there at the, at the jetway. And all of a sudden, I start getting hugged and kissed by all these people that I didn't know. And then I, I, why are they here? And then I realized Connie hadn't been home for a year and a half, and they were all excited to see her and wonder who this guy was that was coming out with her. And we got back to her mom and dad's house. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock here, so I'm just getting ready to get up when I'm laying down to go to sleep. I laid down and slept real uh, pitifully for a little bit and finally got up and went down, was sitting in their mom and dad's living room when finally her dad gets up around 8.30 or something and comes down and we start talking and you know, he doesn't know me from anybody. He starts asking me all these questions, and, and, and I should back up. One other thing, one other detail I forgot is that when my family first met Connie, I took her over to my mom and dad's house, and my sisters were there, my brother-in-law, and I'm kind of nervous. What if they don't like her? What if she doesn't like them? You know, how's this going to go? And that night, it just went great. They were all talking and everything, and, and afterwards, my family told me, if you don't marry her, you'll probably never get married. And that began to play on my mind. Oh, my goodness, you know. So that morning, I'm sitting there in her mom and dad's living room, and her dad's asking me all these questions. I felt like I was in an interview of some kind. And finally, he pauses, and I just say, um, I'd like to ask you a question. And he got this smile on his face, and I said, I'd like to ask permission to marry Connie. And he says, well, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you yes. We'd be happy for that. So it's about 9 o'clock by this time, and I walked upstairs, Knew which room Connie was staying in, knocked on the door, and she said yes. And I said, can I come in? And she said, yeah. Now, what I'm about to tell you is the truth. It's the gospel truth. You can ask my wife afterwards. It is unfortunately the gospel truth. <laughs> I walked in, and Connie was laying in bed with the covers pulled up to her neck with her hands like this. 
And I walked over, and I knelt down beside her bed. I reached out and took her hand, and I said, in the most loving way possible, I might as well do what I came here to do. Would you marry me? And Connie looked at me and said, you're asking me now? And I said, uh-huh. <laughs> and she said, but look at me. And I said, uh-huh. Well? And she said, yes, but, but look at me. You know, I have thought a lot about that morning. And if I had to do it all over again, I would do it differently. Um, I don't know what I was thinking. I, I think maybe I was thinking if her dad thinks about it, he might say no. I think I was thinking if she's fully awake, she might say no. I think I was thinking what my family said, if you don't marry her, you'll never get married. I don't know what I was thinking, but I would do it over again. And you know, isn't that something with our lives? Don't we have a lot of those if-only moments? We think back, if only I had done this. Or if only I hadn't done that. And if we're not careful, the enemy takes that if only and makes it an anchor in our life and weighs us down with regret over what we've done. Well, today, I want to look at some ifs in the life of Jesus. And I want us to see how these build one on another on another. And God uses these ifs in our lives to take us to the place where God wants us to be. So if you have your notes, grab them. We're going to jump in, and we're going to start with the, the first fill-in-the-blank. And the first fill-in-the-blank in your notes is the if of unbelief. The if of unbelief. So I, I just want you to remember, that is going to be the most romantic proposal story you've ever heard in your life. I know it is the most one in, in my life, because it's the one that happened to me. Uh, and let's follow along, fo follow along as I read these verses. It says, and someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought you, uh, my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the priest saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe. Help my unbelief. Do you ever... Did you ever say something and as soon as the words came out of your mouth, you regretted that you said it? Uh, did you ever say something and as soon as you said it, you knew, oh, I shouldn't have said that. That was wrong. I mean, if you know me, um, <laughs> I appreciate the encouragement, Renee, <laughs> but wait till I say something funny. I mean, maybe that was funny. I don't know. If you know me, I have done that all my life. Um, 
I was the guy with red check marks on his report card growing up. You know, in fact, I told you a story that I was licensed as a pastor before I met Connie. And then the, our, first year, our first year anniversary, that was the day I was actually ordained. And that summer, we had our summer conference in, uh, in Irwin, Ohio at, at Rosedale, the school I went to. And I was so excited because we were going to go back and I was going to be introduced as one of the new pastors in the conference. I would have been, oh, my 25 maybe at the time. Connie was expecting Amanda. Uh, we were so excited. I, I, and, and then I got there and I found out that one of my favorite teachers from school, Walter Beachy, was going to be introducing us. And I just thought this couldn't go any better. And so we got up that night and before they, they talked to us and they said, now, just introduce yourself, say a little bit about yourself before you're introduced, and so the conference knows who you are, where you're at, and everything, and so I'm standing up there on the platform thinking, what do I say, what do I say, what do I say? All of a sudden, a verse came to my mind, and I said, oh, okay, that's a great verse, yes. So I got up, and I said, my name is Rick Beachy. I said, I was licensed as a single person, and in the meantime, I got married, and I said, it reminds me of the, the verse that says, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly, and, and I wanted to turn around and introduce my wife, and so I said, and now I'd like to introduce my no good thing, <laughs> because the Bible verse says, no good thing will he withhold. I meant my good thing that he didn't withhold, but I quoted the Bible verse, and immediately I tried to, to correct myself, but it was too late. Everybody started laughing. And I stood there for a moment and just slowly walked backwards. And I stood beside my wife with my head down to hear her say under her breath, I can't believe you said that. <laughs> I wanted to say, I can't either. Was not on my notes. You know, this guy misspoke. I mean, think about it. He looked at Jesus in the eye and he said, if you can. And Jesus responded with, what do you mean, if I can? Come on, you've got to be kidding me, if I can. You've seen what I can do. Anything is possible. You know, before we come to know Jesus, we all deal with unbelief. You know, some of us, struggle with unbelief before we're believers. Others of us, it doesn't even affect us until all of a sudden we come face to face with, should I accept Jesus? Every person before they come to know Jesus has unbelief in their life. You know, I've talked to people who say, well, well Rick, I've been a Christian all my life. And I want to let you know that is impossible. It is impossible to be a Christian all your life. Because you were un, an unbeliever at one time. You had to have a decision at one time to accept Christ into your life. If you have not made that decision, can I be honest? You're not a believer. The day I made a decision, I actually was able to find the... It was at a crusade that happened here in Sarasota on, at the fairgrounds at Roberts Arena. And I actually went and uh, searched the uh, archives of the newspaper and I found out the date. It was December 3rd. 1976. And the way God had it arranged that night, Pastor Vern, who was in the same youth group I was a part of, actually read scripture that night because it was youth night. And um, I was 14 years old. I walked forward and gave my heart to Christ. I settled it that night. And I want to, as we begin this morning, I want to let you know, if you've never settled that in your life, then you've never done it. 
If you've never knowingly said, Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, you haven't done it. And, and if you've never done that, I want you to know that whatever I say from here on is not going to make any sense, and it's gonna, not going to make any difference in your life. Because the only decision that you'll ever make that will ever impact your life for eternity, or the main one, is the decision to follow Jesus or not. And I did that that night. And when you accept Jesus, when you make the decision, when you receive him, you go from if you can, to the next set of scriptures, which is if I only touch him. Follow along as I read the next story in the life of Jesus. It says, And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, If I only touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus turned and seeing her said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. Her faith, her belief in Jesus brought her healing. But did you ever wonder what if it hadn't? Did you ever wonder what if she had touched Jesus and not been healed? Do you think she might have asked, why Jesus? Everybody else who touched you, everybody else who you touched was healed. Why wasn't I healed? You know, we all ask those questions at time, don't we? Because we have unbelief before we come to know Jesus and after we come to know Jesus, I can honestly say I've never had any unbelief since I've come to know Jesus. But I have struggled with doubt. And I can tell you from personal experience, and I think you probably know too, that doubt can be a lot worse than unbelief. I believe in Jesus, so why are things so bad? I believe in Jesus, so why isn't it going like I thought? I believe in God and the fact that he loves me, but why? Well, here's what happens. You know, do you think Adam and Eve believed in God in the Garden of Eden? Yeah, you know, Adam, all of a sudden, one day, he's like, I'm here. Who am I? What am I? And, you know, and he's talking with God. And God says, I made you. I made all of this. I made the animals. You get to name them. You know, could you imagine what that was like? And then one day, God puts Adam to sleep, and he wakes up a little bit later and sees Eve walking towards him, and he says, whoa, man. Now, that was a better response in the first service. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Uh, bless your heart, Hanson. You know. <laughs> he likes my jokes. But anyway, you know, they walked and talked with God. They had to believe in him. And then one day they heard that voice that we all hear. Did God really say? You won't die. That doubt crept in. And I just want to just share a little bit from my own experience, how that works out, how that doubt comes in. We go from unbelief to belief, but then if we're not careful, that doubt comes in and it can destroy us. You know, I believe, so why was my family growing up dysfunctional and why did my parents fight so much? You know, I believe, so why did I go through such deep depression when I was a missionary in Mexico? I believe so. Why was my daughter born with a heart defect? I believe so. Why did I meet a family in San Antonio whose daughter had the same heart defect as Hannah? And I got to pray with them. And she died during surgery. I believe so why did I have to return to Sarasota when I wanted to work in Mexico the rest of my life? I believe, so why did I struggle so much after we came back to Sarasota? 
Why did I struggle emotionally and, and mentally and, and financially? Why? If God was in the move. I believe so. Why did God put in my heart to help start a church that closed down after three years? You know, the past number of weeks as I've been working on this message, something's happened to me that's never happened before. There's been at least four, if not five, nights where I've woken up at 1, 1, 1.30 in the morning, and I couldn't sleep. There were a number of nights I went to my desk and sat down and turned the light on and just started listening to God. And I began to hear a voice say, you really think God's going to speak through you? You really think God has given you this message? You've got to be kidding. You know, this morning, I, I, I woke up at 3.30. Haven't been able to sleep, hadn't been able to sleep since. Luckily, I'm not sleeping now. I guess I should say it like that. But I, I just, I went into my office and I just cried out to God and listened. I said, God, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm struggling right now. What are you saying to me? You know, for some of you, you might be here and you might be saying, I believe so. Why am I so unhappy and depressed? I believe so. Why did I lose my job? Maybe, why did I lose my house? I believe so. Why do I struggle with sin? I believe so. Why wasn't my loved one healed? I believe so. Why hasn't my marriage been restored? I believe so. Why haven't I gotten married? Or I've gotten married, but why can't I have children? I believe so. Why are my children not walking with Jesus? I believe so. Why isn't my life the life I envisioned when I first believed? I want to let you know that the enemy comes against us. And doubt can be debilitating. And if we're honest, we all struggle with it. I've struggled with doubt. I've never stopped believing. Isn't that a song? I've never stopped believing. I don't know. I've never stopped believing, but I've doubted way too often. And you know, I believe that God, during these last couple weeks, has reinforced an answer in my life that I knew all along, but He's reinforced it again and again and again over these last two weeks. And I want to say, I would not give up those nights I couldn't sleep for anything in the world. Those were sweet times of communion when I was along with Jesus. It was quiet. I found the answer, but I want to let you know it's not going to be an easy answer. It hasn't been an easy answer in my life. It hasn't been an easy answer over the last couple of weeks. But I believe it's the answer that God wants us to know. You'll notice there in your notes, it says the if of belief, because we started off with an if of unbelief. And I'm going to assume that we've made decisions to follow Jesus, and we are believing in Jesus today. And so after we go from unbelief to belief, the if of belief leads to number two, which is the if of surrender. The second thing in your notes, the if of surrender. Jesus, if you... 
When you write that down, look to your notes. We're going to read the verses. You can follow along up on the board or up on the screens. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? You know, what Jesus is saying here is, if you believe, if you believe in me, if you follow me, if you believe in me, it means surrender. Surrender. I surrender my life to his control. It might take a while, but I surrender the fact that I had to come back to Sarasota when I didn't want to. I surrendered that. God, you're in control. If you're Lord, you're in control. If you tell me to come back here, I'm okay. I wasn't okay right at first. I used to tell people, Sarasota's a great place to visit, but I sure don't want to live here. And I meant it. Until one day I was talking with a good friend of mine who was in the first service and he's not here right now. And I said, I never wanted to come back from, to Sarasota. I always wanted to stay and work in Mexico. And he said, I am so glad you came back. He said, because if you hadn't come back, we wouldn't have met Connie at school. And if we hadn't met Connie at school, we wouldn't have met you. And if we hadn't met you, we'd have never come to church. And if we'd have never come to church, we'd have never got to know Jesus. And we wouldn't be saved today. It took me for a few years, but I said, okay, God, I'm okay with surrendering that because I realize what you've done. You're in control. You know, I'm okay with being a part of a church and as a pastor that after three years quit meeting. I felt like a failure, but I'm okay with that. You know why? Because when new life stopped meeting, God brought us to abundant life. And I'm glad that God has us here now. Maybe you wish that we were still at new life. I don't know. I'm glad we're here. I surrender what I want to do in order to do what the Lord wants me to do. I surrender my expectations. I expect things in life. I surrender those. Lord, they're yours. If I never have my expectations met, that's okay. I surrendered them. I surrender my present, and I surrender my future. God, it's in your hands. I surrender my life to Jesus and to his kingdom. I don't live for myself anymore. I surrender what I can get out of life and what I can accumulate here because I've got eternal values now. Jesus said, if you aren't willing to surrender to him, you can't be his disciple. He didn't say you'd be a disciple second class. You'd be a wannabe disciple. He said, if you don't surrender to me, you can't be my disciple. It's pretty, it's pretty clear. You know, surrender might come in stages. The longer I've been a believer, the more I've surrendered to Jesus. And I want you to know that this week, he's made a number of areas in my life known to me that I needed to surrender. And so this morning, during that time of quiet, I surrendered stuff to Jesus. 
You know, I didn't know I needed to until this morning. God doesn't make us responsible for what we need to surrender until he lets us know that we need to surrender it. And the reason he doesn't let us know before is because he knows we can't handle it until that time. And I was ready this morning. I was ready. You might ask, why does Jesus require surrender? Why does he require us to give up to him? How important is it? I mean, isn't it my life? Can I live the way I want to live? Why is surrender important? Look at the next scripture in your notes. This is Jesus, the night before his crucifixion, moments before he was arrested. It says, and going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Why is surrender important? Because Jesus Christ, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the bright and morning star, the soon coming king, the one who spoke to Moses and said, I am that I am, the one who spoke and creation came into existence, he surrendered to the will of his Father. Let's read that, what Jesus said again. It says, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Think of that. Think of this. Jesus didn't want to go to the cross in his humanness. There in the garden, in the, and in Luke, it says he prayed that three times. He went away and prayed the same thing every time, every time, every time. If it's possible, if it's possible, but not my will. Yours be done. Imagine if God, had, God the Father had granted Jesus his will that night. We'd still be in our sins. We'd still be hopeless. We'd still be going to hell. But Jesus surrendered for your good. He surrendered for my good. He surrendered for the good of the whole world. And if Jesus surrendered, if surrender was required of Jesus Christ, who do I think I am that I can get away without surrendering? Who do I think I am? My unbelief turns to belief, and then it turns to surrender, and then it turns to surrendered. I'm surrendered. I'm done. I'm done. You know, I, I, think, I think I think about it every Sunday morning in church when we stand and sing and I see people like this. I just love that visualization. I know the, the Bible says, I want men of God to lift up holy hands of prayer, but it always reminds me of something else. I give up. You know, I've never been arrested. Uh, I thought I was going to be one time <laughs> for doing something really stupid. <laughs> oh, and oh, that's another message. Um, but I've never had to put my hands up like that. But when you do, what does that mean? I give up. I give up. And what a visualization, visualiz uh, what a picture. <laughs> wow. What a picture for us. That's us before Jesus. I give up. I give up. I surrender. I give up. I give up. So the if of surrendered leads to our last point, which is the if of example. The if of example. And again, this passage comes from the night Jesus 
was arrested. It says, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you, should all, you also should do as I just have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Think about it again. Jesus, who he was, how was he able to serve? Because he had surrendered all of his rights to the Father. You know, when you surrender everything and have absolutely nothing, there's nothing below you. There's no job too menial. There's no task that's below you because you've surrendered everything and you have nothing and you're a servant. Jesus didn't see service as being beneath him. Actually, his service was what exalted him. Philippians says, because of his service, God exalted him to the highest name above every name. And I want to say here this morning to each one of us, we are never greater in our lives than when we've surrendered everything to Jesus. We are never greater than when we serve. We are never greater than when we serve those who can't repay us. We are never greater than when we get on our knees and become Jesus to the world. That doesn't show embarrassment. That doesn't show humiliation. That shows greatness. Because Jesus said the greatest will be the servant of all. You know, yesterday we watched our three older granddaughters, why Amanda and her husband Aaron went to uh, foster care training in Palmetto. You know, we watched a movie here Friday night, and we're going to show it again over the next year a couple different times. It's called Show Me the Father. If you didn't come, you missed it. It is the, one of the best movies I've ever seen on fatherhood. And during the movie, they show some t- statistics. Man, I've got to get some different words. I can't <laughs> talk this morning. They show some stats. And um, about the amount of people in prison who were fatherless. The amount, of, the amount of runaways who were fatherless. The amount of teen pregnancies who were fatherless. The amount of teen suicides who were fatherless. It's amazing. And my daughter and her husband are going to, with God's favor, they're going to help children that can never repay them. They're going to touch lives that can never be repaid here. You know, we, we have a, a number of ladies in church that got the care portal together, and we're very practically meeting needs of people in our community that will never be able to pay us back. And we're not asking them to. What we're doing is we're being the example of Jesus to them. We're serving people that could never repay us. But yet that's what we're here for. 
And I want to let you know that there is a service opportunity here every Sunday morning at Abundant Life Church. There is an opportunity for you to serve, for you to be Jesus to people every Sunday morning. It happens right next door in the kids' building. And I know some of you right away say, oh, no, no, Rick, uh, I don't do kids. No, well, okay. We, in our children's ministry, we need people that are classroom assistants. And I want to tell you what the qualifications of a classroom assistant is. First, you've got to get a background check. Second qualification is you've got to show up. Okay, that, that's the qualifications. You've got to get a background check. You've got to show up. We need people that are willing one Sunday a month, one Sunday a month to come and go into a classroom with children and help the teacher just do the class. I'll tell you what, those kids will never repay you. Those kids will never be able to pay you back for taking the time to do that. But Jesus welcomed the children to come to him. And I can guarantee you, if you go over there and sign up, those children will welcome you to come over and be Jesus to them. On, on, uh, on your notes there, just above the last verse, you'll notice it says, following Jesus, I think it says this, doesn't it? Following Jesus' example. No, it doesn't. I think I wrote this in later. Following Jesus' example leads to, and I want to read the last verse. This is Peter and John before the authorities, and it says, And when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? They looked at Peter and John and they said, they didn't go to school. They didn't graduate. They smell like fish. Who are these guys? Who do they think they are? What are they doing telling us? But they noticed something. They recognized something. They had been with Jesus. Following Jesus' example leads us to be recognized as having been with him. Now this morning we talked about the if of unbelief turning to belief because we go from saying, Jesus, if you can, to saying, if I only touch him, if I only touch him. Then the if of belief turns to surrender. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to surrender. And I want to let you know as a follower of Jesus, I always surrender. I always give up to him. He's in control. And last of all, the if of a surrendered life leads you to following Jesus' example and being recognized as someone who has been with Jesus. I've been asking myself this question over the last couple of weeks, and it's haunted me. And since I don't like to be haunted alone, I'm going to ask you the question so you can be haunted by it. Do people recognize that I've been with Jesus? In my everyday life, do people recognize that I've been with Jesus? Even if they don't know Jesus? Do they recognize there's something about that guy? Now, not what you're thinking, Renee. <laughs> do people recognize that I'm different because I have been with Jesus?
There's a fill in the blank there at the end of your notes. It says, the if of Jesus leads to. The if of Jesus leads to. There's no answer to that because you're going to fill that in. What is the if of Jesus example doing in your life? How are you living to let people know that you know Jesus? How are you living so people recognize that you've been with Jesus? You know what, there, there's craziness going on in our world right now. Abroad, here locally, around our country, it's just crazy. You know, I'm going to be 60 in August. And I don't ever remember it being this crazy in my life. But you know what? Jesus is in control. And you know what else? The crazier it gets, the more people need to see Jesus in us. And so I want to challenge us today. When we leave here, we're leaving here not as we came in. We're leaving here realizing that people need to recognize Jesus in me in us as we believe, as we surrender, and as we follow his example.